All right. Well, welcome. You may be seated. Welcome to Emmaus Church this morning, Advent week number three. My name's Nathan. I'm happy to see you here. I hope that you feel right at home. If this is the first time uh, that you're with us or the first time in a while, I hope that um, you know that you're welcome here. I hope that you feel like this is a safe place to go at your own speed. We're going to preach from the Word this morning, the Bible. Raise your hand if you'd like a copy. We'll hand one to you. We're going to be in the prophet Isaiah uh, and the 35th chapter. So that's on page 496 in the uh, red hardcover Bibles that these guys are handing out. Prophet Isaiah, page 496. Also, if you're seated on the aisle and there's a basket under your seat, would you mind grabbing that and handing it down? If you would like to take a card and fill it out and then turn it in a few minutes when we pass the baskets again for the offering, uh, that'll give us a way to have your information, your contact info. We send out an email newsletter each week, and that's what we use that for. Also, if you have a prayer request or some sort of specific comment that you'd like to hand off, you can use the cards for that as well. All right. Well, good. Well, I hope that you are um, increasingly and, and in a meaningful way uh, coming into this recognition of the coming of Christmas, um, that your spirit, your heart, your mind, that you're making some room that amidst all the other kind of preparations and things that we get uh, consumed with during this time, that you're having a sense that there's this anticipation, that there's a, hopefully a heightened awareness of your needs that translates easily into a real actual anticipation for the coming of the presence of Christ. This is Advent season. We've been reading portions of um, Isaiah's prophecy, which focuses on God's vision for the world. Have you ever been asked, what's your vision? Like, what's your vision for your business? Uh, what's your vision for your family? What's your vision for Christmas dinner? Maybe some of you are talking about. How do you imagine this going? How would you like this to work out? This is a question that I'm asked all of the time, and people in, in my kind of work are. What's your vision for the church? What, what are you looking to accomplish? How do you see this playing out? Coaches are asked this question. What's your vision for this season? What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What are you hoping for? What are we trying to work toward? That's why people ask this question. What are we doing what are we working toward? What's our role here? What is the meaning of this experience? What do you want us to sort of be cooperating with you in order to accomplish? When a person understands the vision, they're, they're, they're at a place where they can understand their role in a bigger picture, what they're supposed to do now in order to accomplish something that's going to happen later. So what's so powerful about the words that we've been reading from the prophet Isaiah is these are Isaiah's words prophet lived eight, nine hundred years before Jesus was born. These are Isaiah's words, but they are God's vision. God's vision for the world. If Isaiah really is a prophet of God, in other words, if, if Isaiah really was a man who spoke on behalf of God, and clearly Jesus believed that he was, because Jesus quotes from Isaiah all the time, um, and there is no writer in the Old Testament which as a reminder, is the part of Scripture that was written before Jesus was even born. There is no writer in the Old Testament that predicts the details of Jesus' life, his birth, the way he's going to die, with more accuracy and specificity than, than Isaiah. So if Isaiah really is a prophet of God, and I would urge you to believe that he was and he is, then what you hold in your hands is the vision of God for this world. 
which you hold in your hands with your open Bible to the, to the prophet Isaiah's writings, that you have God's vision, not the pastor's vision for the church, not the parents' vision for the kids, not the president's vision for the country. You have God's vision for the world, okay? You have what God sees as the future of this world. Do you know what it is? Do you know what God's vision for the world is? It's joy. God's vision for the world is a vision of joy. What he sees in the future of the world is joy. What he sees in the future of your life is joy. That is his vision for your life. It is a joyful vision. In the last two weeks, I've had quite a number of phone calls and meetings with people here. I'm looking at you. I can see you. I won't look at you too long so it doesn't get uncomfortable. But I, you know who you are, and, I, and, and it's, it's a remarkable amount of people who are going through especially rough experiences in life right now. These, these things come in waves, and we're in one, where people are experiencing real brokenness, real despair, real challenges, real struggles, people in this, in this community who are hurting, who really are experiencing hard times. Listen, do you know what's coming? People in hard times, do you know what's coming? Do you know what's in the future, what goes after this hard time? It's joy. That's what comes next. That's what is ultimately in your future. Even those of you who are like, I am broken down in a way that I haven't ever been before. Listen, the good news this morning is that God, this isn't my idea. In fact, I told my wife, I'm glad for the history and the pattern of the church, the lectionary, the readings that are prescribed for today, because I'm not a kind of guy that naturally wants to talk about joy. It's just not what I do that much. I'm more of a pain guy. So, but today, I've been challenged to talk about joy, and I need that. And maybe you need that. The reminder that, you know what, maybe you're in the depths, maybe you're in the trench, but here's the vision that, it's not my vision, it's God's vision for your life, and it, the future of it is this vision of joy. And according to, in other words, according to God, joy is coming into your life. That's what, the, that's what we're talking about today. According to God, joy is, is what's coming. Let's look at Isaiah's prophecy here in, in, in chapter 35. It's this powerful, uh, short vision, and we've seen glimpses of it in 2, in 11, and here in 35 we get some more. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. How many of you feel like you're in a desert? How many of you feel like you're in a parched land? I'm looking around. There's just not much hope around me right now. It's parched here. I'm in a wilderness right now. Rejoicing will come. Blossoming is in the future tense, right? That's what's on its way. Like a crocus it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. You probably, we don't often think of Lebanon in glorious terms anymore, sadly. But at the time that Isaiah is writing, Lebanon's famous for its cedar trees, and they are being exported all over the world. The palaces of the kings of the world were built from the cedars of Lebanon. So the, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon... They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So here's this powerful vision. This is the job of the prophet, to paint a picture of the future according to what God has revealed to him. So here's this powerful vision, and it's a vision of joy. It's this big, dramatic shift from barrenness to gladness. Think about that. A shift from barrenness 
to gladness, from being thirsty to being in full bloom. It's God's vision for the future. But notice, given God's vision, now notice what God calls us to do now. God has revealed in the first couple sentences his picture of what's to come, but now it's really important that we know what to do with that future vision here now in the present. And that is to, his call is to work toward that future vision now. To be motivated by the reality of what is to come in such a way that it affects our actions here and now. That's the point of a vision. The reason I tell you what, I, what my goals are for our soccer season is so you know what to do now. The reason I tell you what the vision for our business is is so you know what to work on today, right? So here is the vision that is given, and the purpose in part is to call you to work right now, to be fueled by a future vision in the present. How do we do that? Well, Isaiah is going to tell you, here it comes. Here are the instructions given to the hearers, the original hearers of this vision. Strengthen the feeble hands. So you envision joy in the future, God. What do I do? Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the needs, the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So what's your job right now? If you have any kind of inkling of, of a desire to embrace God's vision for the future, what's your job right now? Well, you're supposed to strengthen weak people. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to steady people who need comfort. Be that stabilizing presence in their life. You're supposed to say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Don't fear. Be strong. That's some, good, that's some good instruction for what I can do right now to make a difference, right? Let me point out a couple things. First, who is this message for? The message of joy is specifically for people in two kinds of situations. For those who are currently broken is the first. Those who are currently broken, those with feeble hands and fearful hearts. Those are the ones who need to be restored. Those are the ones for whom this message of restoration is good news. So first, this message of joy is for those, for those who are broken. And secondly, the message is specifically for those who are brokenhearted. It's for those who are brokenhearted, which is a kind of brokenness that we have learned how to hide really, really well. And so maybe you're like, I look great, I could go out and run 10 miles, but inside I'm broken down. This message is for you. It's for the brokenhearted. Because the tendency when life shakes you is to, it, when life kind of breaks you down, is, is to lose heart. That's what happens. That's what happens too often. It's to lose heart. And so the, the, the invitation this morning is to receive this message of joy for you if you're broken or if you're brokenhearted. The gospel reading for today is from Matthew chapter 11. And it is the, it's a story from the end of John the Baptist's life. Now we're in the New Testament. John the Baptist is the forerunner to Jesus. He's the one that points Jesus out to people and says, that's the Lamb of God. That's who we should be. There's the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for for so long. The one that Isaiah preached about eight, nine hundred years ago. But the scene that we have from the Gospels today is a scene of brokenheartedness in John. This is what Matthew writes in chapter 11. When John, who was in prison 
heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is expected to come or should we expect somebody else? See, John has gone from preaching from massive popularity to being imprisoned. And now, on top of the fact that he's imprisoned because he criticized the king, then imprisoned him, Jesus isn't doing what John expected Jesus to do. Jesus appears to be moving more slowly in his restoration of all things than John wanted him to move. He's not the big smash-mouth, confrontational guy that John was. He's doing different things. And John is, as a result, John is uh, having doubts. John is questioning this. So even though John was outspoken in confronting injustice, in confronting the sin of the Jewish establishment, and then as a result gets arrested by the very people he criticized and jailed, now he's broken down. He's shaken. Life is falling apart for John. This is not the way he saw his life going, into a prison cell. And so he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus' disciples and to ask Jesus specifically, are you the one? I've been telling everybody you are the one, and now I'm not so sure you're the one. In other words, are you the one that I should sort of tie my vision of joy to? Are you going to make a difference here? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And here's what Jesus says in reply. Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. Tell John that. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then Jesus says this, and he says it for John. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed are you if the, your expectations not meeting my actions doesn't cause you to lose hope and to fall away. So please notice that the message of coming joy is specifically for those who need joy to come. Do you see that? Notice that the message of coming joy is specifically for those who are longing for this joy to come. And our response to the message is to wait patiently for that joy to come. Is to wait patiently. To wait for God to restore all things to the way that they were designed to be. And usually, this journey of waiting, it doesn't look like we want it to look. Usually, this journey of waiting for God to bring healing, it doesn't look the way we think it's supposed to look. It doesn't, the path doesn't go the way we think. We think, God called me to this. How exciting will this be? And then you're like, oh, this means that and that and that as well. And it doesn't look like you think it will. And speaking of waiting, a second thing that I want to notice this morning about this passage is there's actually two waitings that happen. There's actually two waitings going on. First, we are waiting for God to act. We are waiting for God to show up, for God to heal, for God to restore, for God to bring joy into the world, for God to come. We are waiting for God. But there's another waiting, and that is that God is waiting for us. God is waiting for us to respond to what he has already revealed to us in the meantime. Do you follow? God is waiting for us to do something with what he's already revealed to us. And then here is the mystery of that amazing interaction. Here's the mystery. The mystery is this, that as we actively wait for God to move, and as God waits for us to respond, joy comes. Joy comes. 
It's, the mystery is that the joy comes in the waiting. Let's continue with um, Isaiah's prophecy here. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. He writes this. Later, 800, 900 years later, John repe- or Jesus repeats this as validity of what he's doing, right? As, as a, an assurance to those who doubt. Then the lame will leap like the deer, the mute tongue shout for joy, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. So this is not a passive, do-nothing-about-it, uninvolved kind of waiting. When I talk about waiting for the Lord and waiting for the joy of the Lord, we're not talking about something that we just sit back and do nothing in. We have a role to play. We have a job to do. We wait actively. We work while we wait. We work while we wait. Now, working while you're waiting is challenging. We, we, it's easier to do nothing while we wait. We want God to do something, and then we will act. And he has, but we want to continue to sit back until that becomes so crystal clear. No, he wants us to do something while we wait. In the Bible, waiting is, is it's never passive. Waiting is never, I'm doing nothing, I'm just, you know, sitting on the dock at the bay, watching the tide roll away. <laughs> that, that kind of waiting, that's not a biblical kind of waiting. Waiting in the Bible is always active. It's always engaged. It's always participatory. It is because it's always preparing you for something. The, the only reason God has people wait is to prepare them. That's the only reason. You're not the right, it's not the right time or you're not the right person yet. You got to become that, right? So if you're waiting, you got to wait actively. That is always the reason um, that, that you would be waiting. But because it's easier to do nothing than something, Isaiah ends his vision here with a warning, okay? The vision for a restored future, in other words, includes a warning. And so if anything includes a warning, except for the stupid ones on like kids' toys that are like so obvious, most things are like actually matter. If they include a warning, you want to know what the warning is. Here it is. The warning is that joy will be experienced by those who are willing for their whole lives to be redeemed. That's the warning. That the joy that God is talking about, that you and I want to experience, can only be experienced by those of us who are willing for our whole lives to be redeemed. What does that mean? God wants to restore your life. Before he can rebuild the car, he needs to buy back the car, right? Before he can restore your life, he needs to redeem it, buy it back. Well, now you come into play because you're either going to surrender your life back to him or you're not. the, the, The message for joy, the hope for a joy to come, the warning is this is a possibility only for those who have surrendered their life back to God, right? It is the redeemed who will be restored, who will experience the joy of the Lord. It's really important to notice that. It's really important to see that this, that this vision that Isaiah declares is not just a vision for a restored 
earth from all the pollution. And it's not just a vision for mended, broken bones. It's more than that. It is a vision for the restoration of broken hearts. That's the vision. It's a vision for the complete renewal of the soul of people, which means it's got to be all in. You got to be wholehearted involved, right? You got to completely surrender so that you can be completely redeemed, so that you can be completely restored and you can experience the joy in that. Here's the last part of the vision. And a highway will be there. This is his vision. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk in that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will there be any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. Right? The threats are gone now. Right? But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. See that? Only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Gladness and joy will overtake them, will overtake them, So to sum up, why does Isaiah give Israel and us God's vision for a joy-filled future of the redeemed? Why? I'm going to sum it up here. Why are we given this vision? Why are we given this vision of a joy-filled future for anyone who would surrender to the Lord in order to be redeemed? I've mentioned three reasons. One, he Uh, He wants us, whether we are busy or bored, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got no time or nothing but time. He wants us to work for restoration. He wants us to work to bring joy to others. Okay, that is one of the reasons he gives us this vision, because he wants us here and now to actively work for joy. That's why he's revealed the future to us, so we can work for that now. Second reason He wants us in our sadness, in our despair, in our disappointment, in our brokenness to patiently wait for joy. Maybe you resonate with John the Baptist. And maybe you're wondering, so Jesus, (laughs) how does this all work out? Because I've been following you. I've been trusting you. I put my whole, I thought you were going to do X, Y, and Z, and now I'm stuck, and I'm in jail, and this isn't at all what I planned, are you going to do something here in my life? Does this go somewhere? Am I placing my hope and trust in you in in vain? Or to be really pointed like John says, should I look for somebody else? Should I look for somebody else? The reason Isaiah gives this vision is so that we who are tempted to look somewhere else will wait patiently for the joy that comes from the Lord. So number one, we've got to work to bring joy to others. Number two, we've got to wait patiently for joy. And then even more than that, and here's the truly powerful part. Please get this. You've got to understand this. We've got to engage in this so that we can experience this. Here's the truly powerful part. It is not just, now I have no joy, then something will come to my life, and then I will have joy. We've heard that. That's a super 
too simplified view of this. It's not just this dual, sort of like this two-dimensional thing. I don't have joy. Something will happen in my life, and then I will have joy. It is that, but it's way, way more than that. The, the third reason he gives us this vision is because he wants us to experience joy in the waiting. He wants us to experience joy right here in the waiting. It's not just like I am joyless and waiting, and then he's going to provide something, and then I will be joyful and not waiting anymore. It doesn't work like that. And the message, the promise is better than that. It's better than that. The reason he gives us his vision is so that we will experience joy in the waiting like an engaged couple who are counting down the days until they're married. So they're waiting, but they're waiting and they're experiencing joy in the waiting, right? Like a, like a, a couple who's, who's pregnant and they're waiting for their baby to come. They're soon to be parents. And all through the pregnancy, they're waiting for the birth of their child. It's not a despairing waiting, right? It's not a hopeless, do nothing. It is a joy-filled waiting. They are experiencing joy while they wait. My, my wife just was at a birth yesterday. Sometimes births are like six hours. Uh, yesterday's was like 12 hours. Last month's was 31 hours, right? They, they, and can, they can be really difficult. And they can be full of disappointment and brokenness and all kinds of challenges. But there's always this, this sense that we're, we're joyful in the waiting, right? You can get so focused in the detail that you lose that. But the bigger picture is clear, right? This is a good thing. And we should not be waiting for the arrival in order to, like, unwrap the joy box. We can be experiencing this joy in the, in the process of waiting, Right? It might be difficult, it might take a while, but as we wait, we can be full of joy. That's God's vision for the world, friends. That's God's vision for your life. That's God's vision for your life, that you could experience joy even in the midst of the waiting. So, may God give us the grace that we need to embrace and to live into His vision for the world and His vision for our future right here and right now. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I'm really excited to, to connect to this message in a way that I think will be effective um, from the message standpoint, and yet it's so much bigger than just that. Uh, I, I'm so excited to be able to dedicate some babies as they're a part of our community, some of the newest folks in our church. So uh, let's see, the Boyd family, if you'd come up and join me, the Cody family, um, the Gleason family, why don't you come on up here, and if you guys all stand up here, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and then one by one, we will, um, we're going to pray for these kids together. And I'd encourage you to, um, to, to take some time this morning to pray for each of these kids uh, to pray for these parents. Some of you know better than others how much prayer they need, um, how much help they're going to need in the future here or in the present. And I also hope that you'll allow this to be, in a sense, um, uh, like a physical and practical uh, demonstration of the reality of this vision for joy that, that God is giving for us and the ability that we have not just to do this sort of overly used, well, someday I'm going to die and go to heaven and then I'll experience joy. It's not that. It's so much bigger and more than that. Why don't you guys come on up? Uh, those of you who can, who can
who can, come on up to the stage with me, please. You guys, guys want to come up? Right on. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. We're just going to patiently wait and actively wait while you guys... Yeah, come on up here. I'll stand over here for now. Good. Good. So in just a minute here, uh, we're going we're gonna, to um, have the Boyds come out, who just had Costin, who's in Checkers. And um, the Cody's come out, who's had Abigail. And the Gleason's, who have Jack. Jack's looking dapper over there. Good. Good. Well, let me, um, let me begin here, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll have him join us when we can. So... Uh, just a few things to, to all of you as parents. Um, in dedicating, if you could put the picture of all three up there right now, that'd be great, Lincoln. In, in dedicating your children to the Lord today, what you're, what you're doing is you're declaring a few things. You're declaring that you're Christian to your community. You're declaring your desire and your intent to raise your children in the church, to teach your children what it means to follow Jesus. You're, you're taking the responsibility to lead your children into a into an understanding and a knowledge of, of, of the Lord and Christ's love for your child. This is a huge responsibility. And in, by going public in what we all do is pray for our kids, by doing this publicly, you're, you're embracing this responsibility uh, before your community. So with the help of God, will you promise to do this? Amen, good. Uh, you're also acknowledging today that your children are gifts from God. And what you're doing is you're acknowledging that as your responsibility to lead them for a season. And this is where it becomes challenging. So your job is to lead them for a season. And then your job will become increasingly this challenge of helping them to discover what God's will for their life is. And then cheering them on as they follow that path. Cheering them on as they follow a calling from the Lord into the world. And, and the, the challenge for us is to do that regardless of what it costs us. That's our role as parents to steward them for a little while, and then to trust them to the Lord. So with the help of the Lord, will you do this? So friends in our community, these are some kids who are going to be grown up right here among us. We all have the opportunity to be uh, examples of a really healthy community, to engage, to love, to offer grace, or to, um, or to be examples of brokenness. And we need God's help to establish this as a church where kids can grow up in the knowledge of the, of the love and the grace of God. So acknowledging that we need the help of God to do this, will you, as the community in which these families are raising their kids, will you promise to do all you can in your power to teach these children and to encourage them in their faith in Jesus? If so, say we will. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Why don't you Boyds come on out? All you Boyds. <laughs> so Heather and Brandon have three kids. They're all exactly the same age. <laughs> they were born three days apart. Um, but Heather, you and Brandon have shared with me what a joy Costin has been. Uh, a surprise and this joyful surprise, right? In, in, in addition to your family. Um, and uh, you mentioned that, that 
at least some level of ability to recognize God's perfect timing, even in what seems at times to be um, full craziness, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they want us to pray with them along these lines uh, from the 130th Psalm. I rely on the Lord. I wait for the Lord. I yearn for the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord exhibits loyal love and is more willing to deliver. So let's pray. This is, this is Costin Gray Boyd. Let's pray for him. We pray, Lord, that this little boy would grow up in this family in a way that uh, continually instills in him a sense of confidence and security in knowing that he is loved. I pray for deep companionship with his brothers. I pray for a deep trust uh, with his parents, that they would be men and women a man and a woman who are enabled by your spirit to lead them, uh, their kids well. And we pray specifically for Costin, Lord, that he would cling to you, that he would bring joy into this world, that all who know him would be filled with hope, and that he would be a force uh, for goodness in this world, Lord, and that he would encourage people to yearn and to trust in you. And so, Costin Gray Boyd, we dedicate you to God this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you, Costin. <laughs> All right. You guys come on out. This is Michelle and Miles Cody relatively new to our church. If you haven't met them, meet them today. Make sure you embrace them, learn the names of their kids, and uh, get to know them a little bit. This is Abigail Ann, and um, Abigail is, the name comes from a, a figure in the Old Testament. She becomes the wife of King David. She shows great wisdom and action, and she provides rescue in this scene uh, for her family. She saves her household from destruction. And Michelle and Miles' hope is that Abby will have the same sort of God-given wisdom and that she will have the courage to act on it. So this is a great prayer to pray over her on, on this morning. So let's pray together for Abigail Ann. We thank you for Michelle and Miles, Lord, for their kids, this family that they're building, their trust in you, their desire to lift their kids uh, before their community to you. And we pray, Lord, for Abigail, that her hope um, would be in you, that she would have great wisdom and the courage to act on it. We pray that she would love you with her whole heart, her whole mind, her whole strength, and all of her soul. We pray that she would love the Lord, her God, and that she would love her neighbor as herself. And so, Abigail and Cody, we dedicate you to the Lord this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. This is Joseph and Sarah Gleason and their first child, Jack. Jack Joseph. Um, Joe. This Joseph was named, the middle name is from his dad. And part of the story that Sarah's shared with me is that, uh, that there's a special sense of gratitude um, 
in the receiving of this gift of this child because Joe went through a struggle with cancer and, this, and the, the, the sense of assurance about the possibility of having a baby was, was, uh, was in question. And so this, this baby, this healthy little boy, um, after a journey of difficulty like that, is just a special, we're just especially aware of what's always true, which is that babies are gifts from God, right? So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Joe, or Jack is a form of John, which means God is gracious. And this is an especially appropriate name uh, for this little boy in light of this. So let's pray the, the words of, um, of Paul over Timothy for, for Jack. Jack, we pray that you would not let anyone look down on you because you are young. And we pray that you would set an example for the believers of this church uh, in your speech and in your life and in your love and in your faith, and in your purity. And we pray that you would always know that you were cherished and longed for by your parents, and that you are deeply loved. And we pray that you would be a gift of God, from God, to this world. And so, Jack Joseph Gleason, we dedicate you to the Lord this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, good. Amen. You stand up with me. Let's take a couple minutes this morning to uh, welcome those around us. I encourage you to not allow this to become just sort of a cultural handshake, but may this be something beyond that. Let's be the church to one another this morning. Let's be a, a voice of grace and peace to those around us, please recognize that uh, some of us are on the top of the mountain this morning, and some of us barely, barely made it here, and uh, we are here in part because we need a reminder that God's vision for our future is a vision of joy. So let's extend that, that kind of uh, encouragement to one another this morning. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Take a minute, greet one another with the peace of Christ. We'll come right back together in just a minute. <laughs>